and welcome back to Bring the Jury with Luke and Brian Sheely of the Sheely Law Firm here in South Carolina. Um, it's been a few weeks. Uh, we've been on some other podcasts, some guest features, which is always exciting. Um, and just doing like lawyer stuff, yeah, yeah. which can take up a lot of your time. Um, if you let it. If you, yeah. So today we are just going to have a charcuterie board of justice, as we have um, stated already. In trademark. The, yeah, trademark. <laughs> I'm copyright that. Um, going to just dive in a little bit, talking about Alec Murdoch, any updates with that, Becky Hill, jury tampering, that jazz, as well as taking a dive, sampling into um, the Brian Koberger Idaho 4 um, case and how that is moving along. So. We will go ahead and get started with, um, let's start it off with Alex Murdoch. We're at the Columbia office today. Um, so this is the first time that he's ever admitted blame to a judge. What do you guys think about that? Well, I think that's not ex exactly true. I mean, he, he did admit guilt on the financial crimes in the murder case. I mean, was uh, you know, Judge Newman was present, jury was present. So he has admitted guilt, but I know the tagline is, you know, he did technically uh, plead guilty. So, yeah, that's interesting. I think it, you know, it was a big part of the last status conference with Judge Newman about what's the rush on the state level. Um, he's pleading guilty to the federal charges and, and, you know, how it works in federal court is you'll enter a plea and then you won't get sentenced for a while. Um, so, Luke, what, what kind of interplay do you think there could be with this, state trial date in around Thanksgiving, and then we have this sentencing that has not occurred. We think his lawyers are trying to angle for, if anything, with that. Um, well, there's there was never going to be a trial in federal court. I think if, if the lawyers had their way, there would never be a federal, I mean, a financial trial in state court. I mean, he's kind of under duress, confessed all these things because he had to, because he needed to testify because the evidence is in. But I, uh, you know, I, I just think that they're, they're doing what they need to do to try to kind of hopefully get the federal side of it wrapped up. And then I think they would probably long-term strategizing wise, hope that the motion for a new trial gets granted and they can kind of unravel some of the state stuff. I mean, it'd be better for him if he could be in federal custody. Um, so I think that's the long-term goal and not be in the Department of Corrections in South Carolina, but. Yeah, and I were talking about that before we went live, about the mechanism of his ultimate goal, and he knows he's never gonna walk as a free man again, but if his ultimate goal is to somehow save his name from being associated with the killing of his wife and his son, and he wants to serve that life sentence or that, you know, rest of his life sentence, however he added up on the financial crimes and get and do it in the Bureau of Prisons in the federal system. How does he accomplish that? What what's his end game? You think he's just thinking plead to the federal charges. we got the sentencing looming. Hopefully have some action on the murder conviction in terms of an appeal coming down, the motion for new trial being heard with some kind of action there. So in theory, he could be 
having a new trial granted, but yet being ordered to serve a sentence with the BOP, could his whole custody yeah. get transferred? I mean, if you have, if he's pled guilty, which he has, he will be doing a, a pre-sentence interview and he'll be sentenced this fall before Judge Gurgle, I imagine, or in the, in the winter. And the question becomes, before or after the... If you can the, get a hearing on the motion for a new trial based on after-discovered evidence and it gets granted, then there's no conviction there. That is a, a new trial, new pending charge. He would have no reason to be in state custody. He would be sentenced and go into federal custody, and that would be mission accomplished in terms of uh, the better living arrangement. And I know there's some wrangling over the money and which receiver, which state court, federal court is, is keeping track of available funds that could be used for restitution. So, yeah, I mean, that's a big part of it. I know that maybe is a question down the line we've got here that Hannah's been working on for us, but who gets to dole out the money and is there money? So I would, I would think there's some money available but yeah, I mean, life would be a lot easier for him in the in the federal prison system for so many different reasons. Let's talk about those reasons. Like, in which way, in which ways is federal prison better than his current situation? The state Department of Corrections is a mess. I mean, in terms of services available, in terms of just your general safety, quality of the food, your housing. I mean, Alex, Alec Murdoch is always going to be in some kind of special housing situation due to his notoriety. Mm -hmm. um, so he'll always be a little bit in a different position, but just life is always better. All of our clients that have ever served as sentence are always would prefer to do that. And I mean, who is it? Uh, Who's uh, Martha Stewart did a little federal bid, yeah. you know, she and, and he would be serving. That looked nice. That was like a little community. He would be serving on white collar crimes as well. So, yeah, yeah. I mean, sitting there on like a a high level yard mm -hmm. on a murder or double life sentence is a totally different game than financial um, sentence service in the federal BOP. I mean, it's just different. Mm -hmm. Um, his whole world would be different. It would be a more livable experience, quality of life, all that stuff for him personally. Um, but there's got to be a lot of wrangling right now. There's got to be a lot of maneuvering by his attorneys. It's probably one of the reasons that um, the state, the South Carolina prosecutors are really looking to push those financial crimes. I mean, normally in a normal world, no one cares. Mm. I mean, people care about, you know, victims of financial crimes, but like, Usually there's not uh, a reach to do multiple trials in the state and federal system on basically the same matter. Usually the, the feds pick it up and the state will typically then relinquish. And that's how it goes. There's, it's very rare to see double kind of uh, maximum prosecution of, a, of an individual. And this is a unique situation, but um, I think one of the reasons that Creighton Waters and them are looking to push so hard on this trial date is for what you're just saying. If, if a motion for new trial gets scheduled and heard and there's testimony and it gets granted, maybe he's already scooting over into um, federal custody. I will say this, for just your average Joe, uh, 
person that's sentenced to a, a conviction in um, the South Carolina Department of Corrections, if their case ever gets overturned, whether it's on appeal or post-conviction relief, which is basically ineffective assistance of their lawyer kind of analysis, or in the rare case of a new trial for new new evidence, or in this case, uh, witness tampering, you know, we've seen these folks just kind of sit. So, yep, your conviction's been overturned, but yet they're just sitting in the Department of Corrections. They're not like, you know, getting immediately sent back for a bond setting or like getting sent back to a county jail. They're just kind of languishing. And that's when you start seeing a bunch of letters to either the public defender's office or the lawyer or to the courts. Like, what am I doing here? Mm-hmm. Um, How long do they just be waiting for? Like, are we talking weeks, months, years? Like what? Certainly months. And we've had people like just, you know, we have no, nothing to do with their cases writing us like, hey, my case, got a, I got a email just last week. You know, my case got overturned. It's actually a uh, sister on behalf of her brother. It was a murder case, got overturned. We're waiting for our news, you know, case to start again, but he's just sitting there on the same yard that he served five years on before his case got overturned. What do I do? Help. How do we get this thing started? And they're just like, kind of, nothing's happening. So um, I doubt uh, Murdoch would be in that si- right. situation. I'm sure lots of things would be happening, but yeah, I mean, Bizarre. So how does this guilty plea to 22 counts of financial fraud and money laundering in federal court affect his existing life sentence? Uh, I wouldn't. Okay. So my question was... (laughs) Yeah, I don't think it affects it. Uh, (laughs) Not a good question. All right. Hey, they say there are no bad questions, but sometimes there are. So then, okay, so nothing would change about what's currently happening now because that is just, that was completely separate in which we saw a lot of discussion during his trial where it was like, keep the financial crimes out of it. You know, this has nothing to really do with the murder of his wife and son. However, that snuck in anyways. And so, yeah, I mean, it is always going to be a wrinkle on the state level motion for new trial. I mean, it is a legal, it's a law school uh, appellate analysis, really. So, and really more about it on the appeal issue. I mean, it's probably always going to be overwhelming evidence of his guilt and the analysis. And they're going to basically say, yeah, the fact that the financial crimes came in, is it an issue to raise on a traditional appeal? Yeah, but it's not carrying water. Um, but now that's like really kind of a, a jury tampering situation. If he gets a new trial, mm-hmm. then and he's already given testimony about it. Then you have a, you know, probably a new judge. Judge Newman's going to be kind of closing up his tenure in, in terms of a, his being able to be a judge in this capacity, um, and other reasons that I'm sure maybe the defense would not want him to be the presiding judge. But if he gets a new trial, and then you on the murder case, and they're fighting tooth and nail, and I'm sure there'll be motions not to let any financial issues come in. Um, and he only testified on the financials initially because he kind of had to. Um, as Luke, would you say, under duress? Yeah. But I mean, I think it was an error of law for him to have to, for the financials to come in in the state murder case. And of course, then he had to talk about it for a day as part of his two-day um, testimony 
But at the end of the day, I mean, he was always going down in financials, like because mm. they're proven by bank records and wire transfers and fake forge accounts, and like it was really just a matter of time. I think it, it contributed to him having a difficult initial trial on the murder of his family. But at the end of the day, he was always getting convicted, state, federal, and just what was clear as day in the financial case. He just didn't. It, it just wasn't ideal for him to have to address it while also saying. I'm a thief, but I'm not a killer. I'm a thief, but I'm not a killer. It's right. difficult. Line to straddle. I'm a thief and a liar, but not a killer. Right. And believe me when I say I didn't kill right. my family. That was right. really difficult. So that's the thing. But like, you know, I think it's more about where he spends his time. I think in terms of his probably personal opinion is about his legacy. Like he does not like being in a convicted double murder of his family. Uh, right. Uh, what did Creighton Blubbers ask him if he was in the... What was the phrase he used? Patricide or no, let's kill your father. Um, he had some special term they looked up for like a family killer. <laughs> um, but like, he doesn't want to be known as that. He's a, a, a guy I think who could hold his hand up and say, I let my drug addiction and greed get, cause me to do harm to people near me and my clients. And I'm going to go down for that. But I don't think personally he really wants to be labeled as a guy who killed his wife and son. So right. that's a fair, fair place to go. So I think from his perspective, pleading won't do much. And if the new trial gets redone, um, it's granted. And I think you have to academically look at it and go, does a jury get to know about financial crimes? He's already pled to as, as any, way shape or form as relative to the death of his family and i think there might even be some let's just say it's a new trial granted or it doesn't and the appellate courts say hey that really shouldn't have come in he was prejudiced he couldn't have a fair shot at this this has really nothing to do with these murder cases then i think the prosecution would take the hint and probably wouldn't try to put it in the murder cases because the whole like you know, storms are coming, you know, it's this, I mean, the whole prosecution theory to this day is that I had to kill my family to draw attention away from my financial crimes. All it did was put a microscope on him. That never makes sense. So like, mm -hmm. at the end of the day, he's going to do a lot of time for financial crimes. He would like to do it in federal court. State would like to life him up and... <laughs> in the Department of Corrections, and it's just a question of where it sits, but so it won't do a whole lot. Long-winded way of answering that question. So then let's talk about this money that he has been accused of stealing. Um, the plea deal requires him to pay back $9 million of what he's been accused of stealing. So how is that determined, and then what legal processes are involved in recovering stolen funds? Because I think in the trial back in the winter, it was very clear that he don't have any money. Well, there's, or, there's some money that is, has been, is now controlled by not him. Mm -hmm. um, that's been court ordered. I mean, he had his assets frozen. There's a, a receivership kind of situation going on. So like, I mean, he, there is a pot of money because I know that his defense lawyers at one point wanted to grab some of that for their to pay their bills and pay their mm -hmm. time, and they were not allowed to. Mm -hmm. I think now they would say, "Well, we're working the case for free because we're so committed to the cause." But you know, there's, 
just, you know, tons of different things that the defense team are doing and the state. I mean, there was a comma, uh, crim, criminal con. Did I hear about this? No. Crimcon. Crimcon. Crimcon? Like a Comic Con? Yeah, there's a big convention. Did people dress up as I don't know, but apparently it was a big oh, thing in both Creighton Waters. Why did we not get invited again? I don't know. <laughs> um, and then Murdoch's team went, but Creighton was a star of the show, apparently. He uh, had a real big audience. And oh. so there's, I mean, there's like, there's, oh, there's just ways for these folks to make money. Um, but there is some money, uh, there's not $9 million. So like, yeah, I mean, there may be, I mean, typically how restitution works is it gets ordered by the court. Um, and so the first step towards paying back victims, I mean, obviously there's civil litigation, you can get it done that way, but here in terms of your traditional criminal restitution, it is ordered by the court, it gets assessed and tallied up in terms of what is going to be ordered to pay back the victims. And then it's what's ordered. And then it's how do you actually get that money? Mm-hmm. So if there's a, and that's why we have this little dispute. I think we're hearing about in the media uh, about the feds and the and currently it's in state control, the, this, this pot of money and the feds, if they, because they're willing to, I mean, if they're willing to do a plea deal, to get this ball moving faster, well, they'll have a court order that orders the restitution uh, faster than the state who doesn't want to offer a global plea deal. We talked about that in one of our other pods. Um, I mean, they essentially are not offering anything globally. They're offering a pound of flesh, count by count by count trial, so that they can get him with these strikes because these financial crimes that at the state level are strike eligible, the carry strikes, you know, three strikes are out, you know, most serious plus, you know, another most serious or in these financial crimes, just serious offenses. There are strike in our system. So you line up two of them. And then on the third, you get to serve life without parole notice. And then it's mandatory life upon conviction. So that to the frustration of, I think, the Murdoch defense team, like they're like, we would plead if we got the kind of global, let's wrap it up and then have a sensing for the judge to, to decide. But the state is like, no, we just want convict you on one. And then, cause it's easy. You've already confessed in, in front of the jury. You, you swore let's convict you on another one. And now let's serve you life notice where the judge can only give you life. Um, even though the, the sensing range on a breach of trust, with fraudulent intent may only carry 10 years. Well, guess what? Now it's eligible for life. So, you know, uh, the state could get their money right now and make their victims whole, but I think they're playing a game where they're interested in making sure that he gets another life sentence because I think there is, as Creighton Waters said in, in the status conference, he, you know, very dramatically, he broke the laws, not only in our state and these, but in this very courthouse, and so the feds can do whatever they want. You know, he he did crimes in these in these walls, and we're going to get them in these walls. So that's basically the approach. Now, now it may not get the state their restitution for their state victims, but again, these victims are very similar. There's some similar victims, so maybe the feds are going to get their victims paid back faster than the state, but the state are going to get mandatory life. So then, what happens? So talking about this pot of money that's in the state's control. 
what happens? So let's say that yes, uh, they agree he has to pay out nine million from this pot the state has to these victims. What happens if there's eighteen million? And what happens with the rest of the money that's not allocated to victims, or like does that go to uh, landscaping for the courthouse? Does that? I don't think we're going to be in a situation where there's excess money. I think. Okay. Is that your question? Yeah. What happens if there's... If everybody's paid and they still seize his money? Right. Does that happen often? Like where... Mm, no, I mean, there's always going to have to be a court order on the amount. There's that a, just go to like Buster, I guess? Or... I mean, if there's any money left, it's I, it, it'll get released back to... I mean, as long as everyone's paid. Now, again, no one's going to be paid in full. Not all victims are going to get paid unless there's some financial, you know, money tree that has not been shaken yet. I don't think that's the case. I think they've seized everything they can. I think they'll be, I think the courts will order to the fullest extent they can do it um, to pay back the victims in the criminal system. Now there's civil litigation going. I mean, there's all kinds of stuff happening where they could be getting more than just restitution, pain and suffering and all kinds of stuff. That's up to a different judge and jury, but just in terms of criminal restitution, it gets ordered, whatever is reserved for the victims will get doled out. And that's kind of complex, but there's not gonna be excess money to to build a, you know, Becky Hill monument outside of the, yeah. <laughs> of the courthouse. Right, the Becky Hill wing. <laughs> right, it's just gonna be like, get what you can. It's, it's gonna be a money grab, I mean, essentially in the, in the fairest way possible to say it. So let's talk about that timeline with how this plays into the jury tampering with Becky Hill. Would the financial crimes, and I think you guys touched on this already, but they would try to tackle that first before a potential retrial due to the jury tampering with Becky? Who, the state or the, or the defense? I don't know. I guess either. I think there's... Like, is there is there a pro or... Co like, what are what would be the benefits of, like, the timeline falling, like, whether they address financials first or the Becky Hill case moves forward what i mean is there like a strategy well, i think right now we're waiting on a couple higher powers i mean you've got obviously we had a status conference for the state financial crimes judge newman said november date but right now i mean the way the motion for a new trial was postured it was like it was basically seeking a stay of the of the appeal so that then we could have a motion for a new trial so I'm not an appellate expert, but I would think the Court of Appeals would have to bite on that, issue a stay, be like, all right, fine, we'll pump the brakes. And then it'd be down to, to Judge Newman, assuming he didn't feel he was recused, <laughs> to say, okay, let's have this hearing that it all seems everybody wants. For the record, Judge Newman is never recused himself on this case. I don't, that's my opinion. Well, we've talked about that. Yeah. But I mean, I think. So procedurally, I don't know, I assume we would have heard something from the Court of Appeals publicly had any little note been issued down. But I just think right now it's just kind of, in, we're just waiting for that. I would suspect that's what needs to happen. Um, 
Uh, there's no reason why anything should stop a sentencing in federal court because that's just a totally different thing. Separate. And that's just going to obviously they're paying attention to this case on the docket, but it's just going to be all right. Well, he's pled. Let's do the pre-sentence report. I mean, we had it happens all the time. Let's schedule it. Who's but up? yeah, I, if I were the defense team, though, I think there is a strategy or a hope that the that pre-sentencing report gets done and the federal sentencing occurs before the state level financial crime trials start. And I think that's probably because of the waiting, what's gonna happen on the motion for a new trial situation. Because like we said, it's, if his end game is about custody and where is he gonna serve his sentence? If one sentence goes away, you haven't yet started your state level trial, hasn't been sucked in the federal system. And then quickly, quickly go over to the federal system. <laughs> Thank you very much. Give him my life sentence. And then the goal is achieved. And then he can continue to fight the murder uh, case. And I think that's probably his best case scenario. And if I were creating waters in them, that's why they were push, push, push. Um, let's get this thing tried as quick as possible because they're thinking the same thing. We want, you know, they're thinking we don't want whatever allegations are going off jury tampering to affect our end goal mm -hmm. of him serving every day yeah. of his life in a crappy, crappy mm -hmm. state prison system and just suffer. I mean, that's how personal it is, obviously. Yeah. And they don't want any fed system coming in and taking away their glory mm -hmm. again. Um, if it's about money allocation and this kind of stuff, they could have pled them globally, but they chose not to because they want their pound of flesh. Now, there have been so many different documentaries. You know, Hulu has one, Netflix has one. And now even I think there's been a movie. I don't know if it was like HBO. I, don't, I kind of lost track. I've only watched maybe one or two of the series. How could, how could those media outlets like play a role in the upcoming trials? Like, are they just, just like, what would that look like? I mean, it just goes back to how do you get a fair trial? Mm -hmm. How do you get a fair trial? Um, that's why you see gag orders in cases. Mm -hmm. Like Koberger, which we'll get to. Like Koberger. That's why really good trial lawyers for the most part are not making statements out, you know, outside of court before trial because they're not trying to, you know, put more of a spotlight on a case. I mean, some cases just can't be helped. I mean, this case, I don't know if the way this case developed, I don't know if there was any scenario under which it wasn't going to be covered like this mm -hmm. because it is like a made for a lifetime TV special. Right. It's just built that way. Um, but how do you get someone that hasn't heard about this? You can't, no one's going to say Murdoch who? Mm -hmm. Uh, no jury in this state is going to say they have never heard of this guy. And if they, and if they did say, I haven't heard of that guy, then you gotta be like, Whoa, what's your functioning? Are you, can you serve? Or do you, can you read and write? Right. Do you have electricity and a, and a television set? Um, so that's going to all be about, well, even knowing what you've heard, can you be fair and impartial? And then everyone's like, yeah, sure. <laughs> I, mean, I want to be in the movie next time. Yeah, right. Like, like, trying to get my big break. Seriously. Or it's deal. going to be like Dancing for the Stars, like auditioning to be the next Murdoch sure. Well, it's, yeah, it continues to limit a potential jury pool and who can be fair and impartial. I mean, you don't have to 
prove that you were unaware of this case, but once you're aware, you have to be fair and impartial, which can be difficult to really assess because everybody wants to think they can be fair and impartial, whether they really can or not. But it's funny, like after a case like this, it was so long and so publicized, everybody did their whirlwind tour, Becky Hill included, lawyers included, you know, judges included, make certain statements thinking it's all done. And then, oh, it might come back. And then you're like, well, I didn't mean exactly that. So like, you have to be careful. So I can't believe you didn't know about crime con. Crime con. I was actually there. I just didn't want to know that I would have gone without you. But um, it's just wild. So if I were any witness or any whatever in this case and some media outlet said, hey, we'd love to get you take, you know, mm-hmm. you were so great. I'd be like, mm, nope, 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 nope. But, you know, most of them probably gave some statement to some you know, effect because it was interesting and you want to, a lot of them are proud of the work right. they put in to help get this conviction. Mm-hmm. But it might be that you have to be a witness again and now you've said all this stuff. So, Condon. crap. What is it? Crumcon. Crumcon and run your mouth at a panel. Yeah. How, I mean, could, could the media, like, could those uh, series or movies, like, could the defense, like, use those or, like, could the state use anything that was shared in those? I mean, no, I don't okay. Think that'd, that'd probably be. I mean, it would just be silly. No, it'd be silly. I mean, I don't okay. think. There's enough in this case to. Uh... Yeah, you could. I mean, not by the lawyers. The lawyers aren't witnesses, but if, like, Man, I don't know anything about whether like Dr. Kenny Kinsey oh, said uh, something. Oh, but, oh like, yeah, yeah, I mean, like there are like there are sorry, I thought you people meant, like, on these documentaries that like I mean. Sorry, sorry, I thought you meant like actors portraying characters, oh, like use their. No, 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 I'm saying like like yeah. correct in this upcoming, you know, if there is a retrial or you know even tying back into these financial crimes, like could they be like well on yes. Netflix? This is, I mean, they have some of his phone calls from. Um, Jail. Jail. Prison, yeah, they're I mean, like talking to Buster about like different things and gambling in prison. Sure, any <laughs> witness, lay witness, expert witness who went out and gave a statement got a little loosey goosey. Mm-hmm. Like, hey, I was just making out those BS, but man, justice is done. I mean, yes, that could come back, and you could be questioned about it. There's yeah. a rule in state court, six hundred eight C, that is really good. Basically, says any motive to impeach any um, reason really can be taken up. Um, for any kind of motive for lying or deception, you can impeach the witness with it. Um, and so, like, yeah, if these star witnesses, I mean, everyone's a star in this case. Your average, I mean, the housekeeper, Kenny Kinsley, uh, yeah. your average. Team AM housekeeper. Uh, your, your Joe Schmo sled agent, the dogs. The, I mean, I mean, anybody, anybody that is that did an interview after this and said anything related to the case. Mm-hmm. That could be used. Uh, roll the footage. Potentially. Potentially. Well, I think that's probably enough with the Murdoch circus right now. We've got a lot of people asking about Brian Coburn because it has been quite some time since we've talked uh, talked about Kobe. what's going on with Kobe. Kobe. Um, skin suit Kobe. Kobe. So we're going to go ahead and shift. If you have any remaining Alec Murdoch questions, Becky Hill questions, um, feel free to send those in um, and maybe we take them at the end or something. But we are going to shift to Coburger, uh, Kobe, as Brian likes to say. Yeah. Um, so kind of big news 
that has shifted here. Two survivors of the University of Idaho murders were allegedly awake and texting while their roommates were being killed. That's different from what we thought originally, where everyone was fast asleep. asleep. Right. How might this new information impact the prosecution's case against Kobe, Brian Koberger, BK, have it your way? And what legal challenges <laughs> or implications could arise for him? Does Burger King know that you're just a walking, talking, like ad machine and you're like, you're just slogan out they stuff? Are, and I, and this has nothing to do with this. What kind of. Or is that McDonald's? How no, BK is Burger King. At BK, have it your way. Okay. You rule. Go. It makes no sense, but. Have it your sleigh. I have it I love that little jingle. They really knocked it out of the park. Anyways. So, yeah, this is interesting, Hannah. Uh, I mean, this case, because there is a gag order, because it is very sensational, if there wasn't a gag order, there would be tons of information getting out there that would be making this case a much, much more harder case to defend. Um, but because there is a gag order, there's all kinds of scraps that kind of come out and people feast on these scraps from time to time. That's essentially, I mean, yeah, that's what it is. There's, there's like, dead, like there's dead, there's dead silence, and then someone's man's always studying for the episode with Danny DeVito. I'm Mantis, and I'm beasting on scraps. Right. I mean, so we've got one of the victim's fathers. So here's the source of this reporting: is that one of the victim's fathers heard from his source that was a grand jury member. The, some of the grand jury testimony was that two of the victims, living victims, were not, in fact, asleep during the killings, but were, in fact, freaking out in the rooms, texting each other. Which I, I believe. Right. More so than just sleeping through. Because like what we've always talked about this case is this is a very personal, <laughs> intimate, savage slaying. People would be fighting People will be screaming, right. people will be crying, kicking, fighting for their very lives. It would not be a quiet scene. You, I mean, no one's saying that this was a ninja assassin that was a stealth mode killer. I mean, there's a damn knife sheath left mm -hmm. in the scene, right? So, like, this would be a very chaotic, terrifying, loud, loud moment. And so... You know, the cops were reporting through their various probable cause affidavits and some of the limited information coming out is like these victims that are living here don't know anything. Leave them alone. Uh, they didn't hear anything. And then it's becoming coming out to the grand jury that, in fact, there was they were perceiving things. And so when you perceive things, then you can have recollections about what you hear, what you potentially see, your text messages, your cell phones. You know, maybe you're saying, I heard something. Well, what do you do when you hear something? You open your door and look out. Mm -hmm. Or you call your friend and say, I hear somebody screaming. Don't do that, Bob. There's no reason to do that. Um, how, how could you? Or something. And yeah. so by law enforcement kind of putting a blanket over these two witnesses, they're, they don't have knowledge because they were not awake, not perceiving an event. And then all of a sudden we find out that they were, that's astonishing. It's crazy. Um, it is built. It is. It is. I mean, it's built in impeachment 
for to be used against law enforcement because right. it's a change in the story. Now, when did the change occur? I mean, it's a 180 degree different narrative. And so then good defense lawyers are going to say, well, all right, well, if they weren't asleep, what did they say? Where's that information? And maybe the defense already has it. And it's just due to the gag order, but it's like still, records, right? well, still, yeah. Or a statement. It's still a discrepancy. Um, and sometimes when investigation is early and it's a, a big publicized case, law enforcement wants to tamp down problems in a case. Um, but if you have law enforcement not being truthful with magistrate judges for search warrants and probable cause affidavits, because like what if these living uh, victims said something else that could uh, detract from a search warrant, a probable cause search warrant or a murder warrant? I mean, this is major pretrial litigation. This is also in court, on the stand, impeachment. We have no idea what it is. Luke, I mean... What, what are your thoughts on how this could be used in the, in the trial? And then I want to follow up a little bit with what apparently happened with this father. Well, shifting stories are what get people convicted. And, and we know that from our clients. Um, so that's why we always mm -hmm. hate it when our clients give three or four different accounts. But the same can be used against law enforcement because it goes to their credibility. Um, why are, you know, why is it being hidden? Why is it being, what, why is the official story changing? Is it to keep things under wraps or is it to get one over on a magistrate or is it because the witnesses themselves, for whatever reason, lied originally to you and then they changed their story and said they're awake once you said, hey, we got your phone records. It seems like you were awake. So why did they not be truthful to you in the first place? Is it, I mean, so it, it allows just a right avenue for what we as lawyers call impeachment, which is essentially lamest terms for busting you <laughs> with why you weren't being honest with us, mm -hmm. which usually indicates somebody's not being truthful for some reason. Some sort of cover up, um, like with law enforcement? <laughs> well, it I could, don't know. I mean, it could be that they're, <laughs> they're protecting witnesses that were scared or confused, but if, if, you know, if they if they're getting this information from the living, I can pose a hypothesis. Uh, okay, we're Ozarking it. That's what we should. Have I mean, heard. it's why. So, if you want to get a search warrant from from a magistrate judge, and you want to say, "Here's what one living witness said." She opened the door, and she saw a guy all in black with his mask face covered, slim but athletic build, about five ten with bushy eyebrows, and that's the not too muscular, but that's the only thing. Very, very killer stabby looking. Right. And that is the only bit of living victim witness testimony that goes to the magistrate along with some other things that help support probable cause. Right. And but that same investigator knows for sure, because they talked to the other living witnesses, that they were texting each other during the killing and were up and perceiving. And so then they either that was being kept away from the magistrate, the, what the contents of their conversation, what they perceive, because maybe, like I said, one of them popped out and saw something different than the other witness. And everyone, even if there's a similar event occurring, perceives it differently than someone else. And so if you want like a true probable cause, if you're a gung-ho cop and you just want to get your search warrant and you don't want any 
magistrate looking too hard at this. And let's just get this is get the evidence that we need. Then you don't need three different people saying something three different ways that could have a magistrate pausing. Well, wait a second. This suspect is way different than what these two people said they looked out when they heard and were texting about you look out your door first. And so let's just get these two out of the way. Let's deal with one. Let's get our search warrant and the evidence will convict this guy. So sometimes law enforcement thinks like that, but we have no idea. Maybe these two living witnesses that were texting were just said they're asleep because they were so scared or something else is going on. Either way you cut it, it's either, it's a big issue in terms of what was given to the magistrate judge or it's an impeachment issue with law enforcement and it's just, I don't know, it's one of those unforced errors in an investigation that you just don't, it doesn't need to be here. It's like the Becky Hill of moments, you know, you don't need to have it. And someone had a question about, you know, if those living witnesses knew, obviously, what took, what went down and didn't say anything for hours, what would that, like, what could happen to them? I mean, would that be, I mean, is that suspicious? Is that... Why would you? It would be very odd. Yeah. It would, it would, sure, stuff like that can be explained away, shock, grief, whatever, um, denial. But at the end of the day, it, it does cast a lot of doubt and allows a good lawyer, defense lawyer, to say, well, why? Mm-hmm. Are you part of it? Did you hate her? Did you hire somebody? You know, what's the deal? I mean, that's all conspiracy theory stuff, but that kind of inconsistency allows folks' imaginations to run wild and help attack this case. So, because there's really no, no clear motive, there's no reason except that, you know, the public idea that he's a mm-hmm. you know, skin suit type of guy that kind of plotted this vulnerable house. But uh, if you have living witnesses who are kind of just sitting on this and texting each other and, and are having inconsistent accounts, it kind of makes you wonder why. Wow, I cannot wait for those texts to be right. And the other read thing, aloud. Then the other thing is, you would, <laughs> you would assume that law enforcement has preserved all electronics in that home, mm. just out of abundance of caution. But let's say they didn't, because these two victims were asleep, and they said they didn't know, they didn't have any problems with anybody. And let's just say there was some bad investigation and, and that their phones were not taken and, you know, ordered to be um, self-right extracted and all this kind of stuff. So, like, but now there's some information that they were texting. And so that becomes, you know, information to use in a defense or in a prosecution. Mm-hmm. So it's just fascinating but I want to get to yeah, the dad. Right? The dad. Okay. So this is um, the father of the victim, Concow. So Steve. So he's basically he's hearing from a source about this change in information about these two roommates of his, of his daughter that were texting each other during the slaying. He's hearing it from a grand jury source. And then this reporting basically says he uh, then made efforts to contact a person involved in the grand jury process to try to figure out 
like get down to the bottom of it. Like, let's get, what are we talking about? They were awake. Yeah. What, what do you mean they're awake? They're, oh, I've always been told they're asleep. And so this is a father that's yeah. grieving, yeah. hurting, hearing something massively different. Oh, that. And his efforts uh, were thwarted when the FBI sent him a letter that says, hey, even though you're a victim in this case, don't think that you can't be uh, strongly looked at for witness tampering in the grand jury process. Cease and desist all efforts. And so that kind of put the brakes on him. But, you know, it just kind of goes to show it's like an unforced error. So either you're law enforcement who are trying to keep something from a magistrate for probable cause purposes, either for a search warrant for evidence or a probable cause warrant for the murder charges, which is bad, or you are two witnesses that have initially said they were asleep and then later divulged that they were awake due, for some reason. So like, let's say law enforcement did grab their phones and instantly or at some point processed them and saw like, you guys weren't asleep, you were texting, that, ooh, that's bad. Let's talk about why you were you initially lied to us. That's a whole other wrinkle. Right. Um, it's just wild. So it's an it's an unforced error. It's going to be fascinating, and we are now all feasting on this scrap of information. Mantis. But it's not little. It's huge. It's I mean, huge. It's, it's huge because it's crazy. It, it's just wild. Um, but also towards you know defense objectives i mean it, i mean if luke and i have a case like this you know if you remember they were trying to get the living witness who described the assailant in this way with the all dark and covered up with bushy eyebrows athletic build they were trying to get her to the prelim to potentially have her testify Mm-hmm. And that got quashed and something got worked out where she was then allowed to be investigated by the defense. But look, so they, they instantly went, as we would do when you're triaging an investigation, let's go to the witness that was awake and perceiving stuff. But if, if you don't know that you have other witnesses, and let's deal with the sleeping people later. We'll follow with them about what motivations could there possibly be? We'll, we'll deal with them. But like you want to talk to the person that gave the statement that lended itself to probable cause in part for the warrants. But if really and truly these other people were actually awake and you haven't been able to know what they're thinking or saying and why they changed their story or law enforcement just not reveal their story, then you've lost time and it's problematic. But I imagine when this information has come out to the defense team, they're moving quickly and maybe they've known about it for a long time now. And we are just the ones that are getting the information late because of the gag order. Mm-hmm. Um, Might be that those sleepers are now awake and saw a very consistent, bushy-eyed, slay-looking BK killer. Or maybe they gave a dip. I mean, Hannah, if you're in a house. <laughs> I think I know what you're about to say. Someone else in the comments have said something. Go ahead. What were you going to say? And if you're in a house with a bunch of roommates mm-hmm. and it's late at night, and you hear you're hearing screaming. People you're, get yeah, getting and you're hearing, killed. And you're not asleep, but you're texting your friend. I mean, okay. You watching Halloween? What else? What else naturally would you do? Right. So and it's so funny because um, <laughs> a woman, I'm assuming, um, commented the same thing. It's like you know, if there's if you're in a house and you're hearing this ruckus go on, like 
your typical female, I mean, I'm just speaking from experience as a woman, um, I'm not going to stick my head out and be like, what's going on? Sounds really murdery out here. <laughs> like, I just want to check that y'all are okay. No, I'm immediately barricading myself. I'm not stepping out. Of my, I'm jumping out a window. I'm breaking through glass. I'm shoving crap um, against my door. And I'm, I'm all while calling 911, whether I'm speaking to them or not. They're on the phone. Right. So I guess my... And then chaotically yelling, like, you know, I, so, I think my roommates are being killed. Right. So let's say they're, they say they're asleep, but they're actually up texting each other and not calling 911. Mm -hmm. Is that suspicious to you or weird? Super weird. So suspicious and weird. And I mean, they are, you know, victims and they have had, they went through an extreme amount of trauma with this. And so that's not to take away from that and everyone, you know, process differently, I suppose. And I've never been in that situation. So maybe I, I don't know how I re react, but, um, yeah, it's straight. Like texting is also such a slow form of communication. Like, did they, did they know that they didn't have anything to be worried about? Why, like, why are you, you know what I mean? That just seems, doesn't seem urgent to me. And then to not, contact law enforcement immediately or, you know, barricade yourself in your room, break through glass window, jump, break your ankles, but survive. Like, I don't know. Those are just things that come to my mind quickly. And we also know there was a dog in the apartment. Uh, you know, most dogs are going to bark. If there's a stranger that's in, that's not one of the people that the dog's familiar oh, yeah. with. I mean, it's all kinds of, there's so much on this case that we just don't know about, but um, whew, it's wild. It is extremely wow. wild um so going back to kind of the timeline i know that this has been and wasn't something originally scheduled for october 18th i don't know why i have that stuck in my head but obviously that's no longer yeah the case. He, what is the updated so coburger had, had initially asserted his speedy trial rights and then they're like all right well this is death we noticed you with death and then they kind of played, uh, we've had some episodes about how they were just playing chicken with each other. I mean, the defense team was like, we're gonna be ready. And the state was like, we're ready. <laughs> Look at how we're always like, no one, no one's trying this case in October. Did we have a bet on this? We yeah, did. No, you yeah. were like, this is not happening in October. I mean, I know I was that one. I was saying that too. Saying not, we had a bet on something else, something else. But so then October is here. The defense was like, no, we this is a death case, of course. We can't be ready in like mm -hmm. a month. And so the judge- It was within a year of, when when's the anniversary? Yeah, less than a year. It was super it was, fast, but in November. Um, the judge, I think, isn't his last name like Judge Judge or something like that? Uh, judge Judge? Something, something cool like that. The judge Ball or Judge Judge um, hauled up Coburn and was like, all right, dude, you're gonna waive your speedy trial rights so we can stop being silly. And he was like, yes, sir. <laughs> <laughs> So it was silent. Yeah, I mean, it was like, yeah, we're, I, I, no one can try a death case this quickly. Um, and so, yeah, it got pushed out. And, and there's lots of flexing going on on the defense side about like they had a bunch of, you know, motions to quash the indictments. Now that, that was filed a couple months ago. Um, and maybe it's for something like this. I mean, if you are, misrepresenting what really went on. So that'd be a Frank's violation, Luke, um, or, or whatever, you know, 
anyway, any, any kind of admissions to a court or a magistrate assessing probable cause or lies, of course, can can get a search warrant or an arrest warrant quashed. Because you can't go lying to magistrates or else our whole process fails. Um, and the fruits thereof. And the fruits thereof. DNA. Ooh. Mm. Mm. An Amazon cart order. Mm. Mm. But see, now I'm, I'm going to Ozark a little bit. But like all of that stuff, kind of like what we already know, could be like manipulated. I mean, who, you know what I mean? Like online evidence, like you can create, I don't know. And DNA, I feel like, especially if somebody used to volunteer at the, um, at the sheriff's department, you know, he used to be this intern um, with law enforcement in the area. Like you're saying, they don't have, I don't know. They don't have his DNA on file. Well, I mean, I think there's been a lot more than some alluding to the fact that a defense strategy concerning this DNA mm-hmm. is going to be that it was transferred DNA on this knife sheath that may have been transferred in the evidence gathering and or collection process. Um, and then there's a lot of information about this genealogy kind of DNA data source that it's like cart jump the horse kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, cart before the horse. So we could do a whole episode on that um, whole issue and a lot of that's still being litigated and has not been turned over. So we should probably do a, a nice, big, huge Coburger BK. BK. Have B, BK Someone did just correct me and say that he, um, he was never accepted as an intern. So I guess maybe he didn't work. I wonder why he was denied. Because he he's got a creepy, creepy look to him. Yeah. No, there's so much to dive into with Brian Koberger and also Rex Huerman, who we didn't get a chance to talk about today, but we definitely need to. We need to talk about Rex a lot because he... <laughs> a whole episode on Rex. Because apparently he's... Gilman got, Beach. There's a lot of, you know, we're in South Carolina and there's a lot of South Carolina connections to Rex where he's got property. There's all of a sudden people are like, oh, that guy's the guy that tried to grab my auntie. And he's got like the truck, the avalanche, that's very kind of unique. They found in his property in Chester. And uh, yeah, it's creepy out there. It's creepy and murdery. It probably has some connection to South Carolina. Yeah, no doubt. And there'll be a Netflix documentary to uh, keep you all um, hooked. Well, yeah, I think that's probably a good place to stop today. Um, Again, we'll be back potentially next week. These guys are really busy with a uh, murder trial of their own. Um, Mm -hmm. So, you know, we may may or may not be on because uh, justice has to happen. Um, Slowly but surely. Slowly but surely. Thank you guys so much for joining. I had a few people say that they have some questions. So if you... Um, didn't have time, go ahead and drop those questions, whether it be on TikTok or on the YouTube live stream, and we can maybe address those um, next pod. But you guys, as always, can follow us on Instagram, TikTok, LinkedIn, MySpace, MySpace, YouTube, all of the above. Um, If you missed any bits of this episode and want to catch the full thing, it'll be uploaded this week to all major streaming platforms. So catch us there. And uh, yeah, thank you all so much for sharing your time with us. This has been Bring the Jury. Bring the Jury. (laughs)